Podcast. Another week, another podcast. Bum bum bum. Fear. Or bum bum. Thriller. Oh, that's a law and order. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, yeah, I like that one better. That would actually be dun dun. No, dun dun. It's more. See, the first one was cliche. Yeah. Stay, stay tuned for cliches. Um, <laughs> I'm Matt. I'm John. I'm Steve. Um, this week, we'll get into the album pretty quickly, but first I just want to give a shout out to Ed Reynolds, the guy, the guy behind the comic, Fermented Zen, which is more or less based on the Waystation, um, although in the comics it's called The Station, and he doesn't call it Doctor Who, it's Doctor What's-It, you know, avoiding copyright problems or whatever. Um, but he does a, a great comic about goings-on at the Waystation, his life, and some other stuff, and I've been a guest in the, pod, in the comic as well as other regulars at the Waystation. Um, he is featuring us on his website for Fermented Zen. He has uh, Crash Chords featured, and uh, we appreciate that. We have him on our links to check out, Friends of Crash Chords, on our site. Um, he does some really funny, great comics. There is a comic series so far. There have been two installments where Katie is fighting the mighty Conant the Barbarian. Conant. Conant. And he... Is that like a sea cant? No, it's like a Wait. it's like Conan as an ant, Conan. Oh. But uh, here's the question: Is it Conan, the Barbarian spoof? Yes. Or, or okay, so it's not the 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 TV personality. No, it's Conan the Barbarian. See, if he had blended in the the the, the TV personality, that would be even be more topical. That's Conan, not Conan. Close. It's close. Um, but it's very funny because usually it starts with these massive war scenes with the ants and then it zooms out to Katie squashing them or spraying them with bug spray and freaking out. It's, it's cute. Cool. And that's uh, Fermented Zen's work? Yep. FermentedZen.com. You can see the newest comic features a friend of mine, Sean Proper. We've dubbed him the asshole of the way station and it's words of wisdom from him. It's a one shot. So go check that out. And thanks, Ed. We'll have him as a guest later on in the year. Thanks for featuring Crash Chords. Cross promotion where the links go scrolling down the page. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon I'm going to start making you make songs for everything. Like uh, actually write tunes. You don't have to ask. It just happens. <laughs> so apparently. You just give them. So this week's album is a fan request again. The second fan request from Kristen V. So thank you, Kristen. Um, the last one was Saliva Rise Up, which we didn't love, but... You know, like I say all the time, people listen to music differently, but realistically, it was nice to get a fan request, and it's always nice to hear what people are into. So her newest fan request that she posted, I believe a month or so ago, is by the band Fallout Boy, and it's their latest record, American Beauty, American Psycho. Um, I have a fairly long relationship with Fallout Boy. Um, I was introduced to them by my friend Mary. Um, uh, when I was hanging out with her a lot more, she listened to them a lot and got me into them, starting with Sugar We're Going Down and Dead on Arrival, some of their early stuff. They're very indie slash pop punk kind of stuff. Um, I kind of grew with the band. Um, Infinity on High was a great record, and I really liked the song This Ain't a Scene, It's an Arms Race, which really lost a lot of their fans because it had more of a hip-hop flow. It was a little more experimental within their pop structure, and uh, I dug it because... 
obviously it's no secret I'm into hip-hop if you listen to Autographs, my other podcast. But I thought it was kind of really interesting direction for them to go. Um, their albums after that, they didn't really grow as much, and now we're at their newest record. Of course, Fall Out Boy is Andy Hurley, who's drums and percussion, Pete Wentz, the, who's the bass guitarist, Joe, Joe Truman, who's guitars, additional programming, keyboard, and lap steel, and uh, Patrick Stump, who's lead vocals, um, guitars, keyboards, he also does uh, additional percussion, and then Ryan Ross, their lead guitarist and backup vocalist. Um, and apparently main inspiration behind the album. This specific album. Yeah. Um, that we will get to soon. There's additional credits as well. Jake Sinclair, Lolo, um, Michael Bolger, who ha- helped on various tracks. Um, well, I mean, only because of my age, I tend to think of Fall Out Boy as, as being sort of this flavor of the day. I think because of how they were marketed back in around like 2006 or so. Uh, and when did you say they got started as a band? Um, I don't remember the exact start. Early 2000s. I think it was early, early 2000s. 2000s, yeah. Well, I, it must have been like a really aggressive marketing campaign because like when you combine that with, I admit, some pretty catchy singles, it really propelled them to the top of the charts and just it, what seemed like the blink of an eye. I remember they played... Uh, yeah, they started in 2001. Right, 2001. And then they came out with their debut album was probably like immediately after that. And what was it? Maybe their second album by 2006 or third? I believe it was their second by then. Second. Well, that one, I think, was the one that really, really took off, because by that point... 2005, yeah. Um, from Under the Cork Tree was the big one. From Under yeah. the Cork Tree. That's the one that um, Sugar Were Going Down was yes, off of. correct. Yeah, that, th- those were the, the heyday for uh, for their their resurgence, I think, or, or their surgence. I think... I remember back around, like, I was a senior in high school, and sure, I'm giving away my age here, but they played the Disney World Senior Night when the whole park is just open to high school seniors. And I was privileged to be a part of that. It was awesome, although I didn't really hang around the concert, not to slight them, because it's Disney World. I was off doing other things. But in passing by, the attendance for their concert was pretty substantial. And since about 80% of my class were Fall Out Boy fans, I think it was a natural fit. So I'll admit, they were never really my cup of tea at the time. But I will say this for them. The lead singer, uh, Patrick Stump, is very dynamic, and his melodies do have staying power, even if you'd rather, at times, they take a hint. But I do remember that Sugar Were Going Down had the kind of mass appeal that doesn't really come easily, I think, in present-day rock songs. And although they did take a hiatus in 2009, they reformed in 2013 with a sound that I had hoped would be a healthy combination of maturity and mass appeal. So let's see how this album fares in that respect. The first track is called Irresistible. Um, from the minute it starts, it's almost face-punching high energy. It's almost a call-to-arms song. They uh, use the idea of fanfare very prominently because you're getting horns right away, trumpet work. That is almost trombone. Call- trombone. I oh, believe trombone work. That is almost a <laughs> call-to-arms. It's almost a call-to-arms. Almost, it's, it's but it doesn't rousing. culminate. It's also on a constant loop, though, and the song begins rather fast. I mean, there's not a lot of sitting with this this uh, brass line here. Almost right after that, the thump starts, you know, right on the beat, very steady. Then enter the vocals. Uh, Patrick Stump in with that attitude, just as I remember, um, as of 2006. Uh, and another thing I noticed about his work then and about his work here, lots of accents in his melodies. He's got this this punch to his delivery, and I don't know, I mean, I, I, even though it's kind of like tethered to the beat, I'll admit there is it's one reason why you have punch. It still feels like there's a lot of dynamic 
dynamics within the track. Yeah, I mean, also, he's he's taken a lot of cues from actually some major pop stars just because of the way he styles his singing. I mean, one of, one of my favorite covers that this band ever did, and they've done a bunch, was they did a cover of Beat It featuring John Mayer. And he had Michael's vocals down, at least style-wise, pretty well. And later in this album, we get some of that punch. And it's very reminiscent to some of the heavier-hitting King of Pop songs because he mm-hmm. did have this kind of attitude inherent in his voice. And that comes, with, comes through in Pat's, in Pat's singing as well. But this, this, this punch really kind of loses it around the chorus. The chorus starts well, but it, it, it just falls apart. It loses the, the issue because it's just a repetition of this idea, of this percussion. Well, what we get first is a kind of hook. It's like backup vocalists stepping forward with this, you know, like, hey, and it's, it's like kind of like rousing, you know. It, it's a common, I think, theme in modern pump to set, to step in with, uh, with O's and A's. It's just kind of like meaningless gibberish to carry your melody along without there necessarily being uh, lyrical value there. Um, but then there was an interlude before we actually get the chorus, where from the hook, which almost sounds like it could have been a chorus unto itself, um, steps down and everything gets pretty soft. And this is right at the moment when he says, and I love the way you hurt me. And at that moment, everything's soft. The vocals, they're rather soaring, but the instrumentation has reduced itself to just lone piano chords descending while, meanwhile, a, a, a synth just slowly creeps forward but not so slow because this phrase is over almost immediately by the time we, we crash into it's irresistible, yeah, and that's your chorus. Well, and then it goes on to I love the way, I love the way, I love the way you hurt me, baby, twice. It's repeating four words six times in the span of 15 seconds. It's a little bit too much in this. It's a little bit too much because the inflection isn't changing. The vocals are remaining very much in one location, in every repetition. This stagnancy is really hurting the overall feel of the chorus. It sounds less like a chorus and more like a mantra. But not the sort of thing that's supposed to get you going in well, one way. All the, in, I mean, everything in the track is kind of made to promote that idea of the mantra. For instance, everything is thickened out a little more by the drum machine that steps forward. Because um, I believe it was a drum machine here. I don't think it was uh, just playing drums. It would sound a lot more mechanical. More emphasis, I think, on the second beat. And then everything kind of funnels out to a silence, just leading up to that second beat. So you have this, like, this sloop, and then all of a sudden, a crash right on that. Um, and it's kind of just the only way you emphasize, like, very on the nose to your listeners, this is the chorus. And then, you know, just that, that refrain, as you said, I love the way, I love the way, I love the way you hurt me, baby. I mean, there's not anything terribly new here. For a first track, I'll admit it had a arousing nature to it, and I wasn't terribly critical, but it's also, like, I feel this could have been made back in 2006, so I wasn't really getting that maturity that I had sought. Um, I mean, on a whole, it was kind of like empty calories, you know. It, 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 I enjoyed it. I thought the high energy was fun, but I do agree that it was kind of a straight high, ener- high energy. Like, as Barney Stinson would say, it was all rise. Yeah. Um, well, no, I, I would argue that it's, it's rise to a point, then a plateau. Yeah. Because after a while, I mean, it has the same peaks, and the peaks occur right there with that sort of crash on, this, on that, that second beat. Um, and then we also get similar structure throughout the remainder of this track. Uh, my favorite moment within that is that sort of like pre-chorus, as we'll call it, leading right up to that chorus when everything gets really, really quiet with the piano chords. And I love the way you hurt me. That's 
kind of beautiful, but it's really fleeting. And then it's back to the chorus, back to the verse, back to the chorus. We get an interlude that may have been a little bit more emotive, um, but I don't know. There's really not too much in the way of variety here. The bridge almost seemed like it had the same character. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm kind of just waiting through it at this point. I mean, it was consistent, at least, sort of. Um, but, but yeah, I agree. I mean, it just... I'll, well, I'll go back to what you said. I'll credit the track for ex- excitement, at yeah, least. Yeah, it definitely had... It was a good... I feel like it was a good intro track because it at least got you excited. If you were into that song, it revved you up. And that's the goal it served. But I have another, um, another little thing because I was expecting better wordplay. I really was. Uh, we're getting some kind of unusual metaphors. Too many war wounds and not enough wars. Too few rounds in the ring and not enough settled scores. This is... It is a little bit provocative and it does do a little bit. But when you're using metaphors like this, I don't feel like it's really matching up with the way the music is portraying it. It's not really matching up no, with the No, you're right. The, the music, because the thing, the music is so like anywhere Popsville uh, 2006 to present that... It, it, it puts you in a place that I think is you kind of gloss over the content, unfortunately, because there there may very well be things in here. Um, at first, on a first glance, without really peering into the lyrics, I was just like, okay, yeah, I love the way you hurt me. It's just one of those like, oh, it's a it's a love that's not quite perfect, and there's imperfection in one hand. I just I get too much of this, you know. It's hard for me to feel your pain. Yeah, through the lens of the music, that is. No, it's a fair assessment, I think, of that first track. Um, well, we, let's move into something a little bit more high energy because they they do reach uh, some significant is anger heights and here. energy. Anger is in fact energy. Yes. Okay. Well, it, hold on. It's, it's harder to do. So anger. the next track is the title track, "American Beauty, American Psycho." American Beauty, American Psycho. Um, this is first of all the fact that this is the title track. I mean, and the fact that it was, I think, the most intentionally rousing track on the album. Let me know that they kind of mean business when they do their title tracks. First of all, we're right up front with the chorus, not shy about that. And the vocals dominate here. They begin the track, essentially. It's just vocals, along with a pretty, uh, or soon afterwards, a pretty heavy beat machine. And there's really no lead at first. It's all doubled vocals. It's all just everyone sing along. I hate this the way the song starts. I freaking hate this chorus. And I rarely use the word hate to describe music. Except two weeks ago when I used it a lot, also I think, but I just I can't. And I just I, the, my biggest problem hate, I think with hate, the way that, hate is a strong word, especially for what we do here. But it's it's the kind of like I understand what you, where you're coming from when you it, begin a track like that. It's very first of all it it lays down the law in terms of that intention to rouse you up. And since the album has barely begun at this point, it's just, it's a little overbearing. And it's just, it's a jolting start. And the way, the the instrumentation in the start of the song, first of all, it comes with the vocals first. And then that instrumentation that follows just feels like a wall of sound. I just, I was, I was, I, I hated it because it made me angry. It made me annoyed. I didn't enjoy it. I went back and forth with it because I also kind of saw this through a different lens, and that was that, well, all right, the first track makes me almost want to take it different places. But this, uh, to use a quote from Robert two weeks ago when we were also talking about an album that we were less than positive on, um, it belies a falsity. And I think that is not the case here. I think that this is exactly who they are, and this is exactly what they want to do. I think oh, there's I there's agree. a there's a, a energy here that is entirely them, and they're having fun right along with it. But, Within that, though, but, no, we no. have a couple of things. 
before we go into anything else, the right. energy that is inherent to them is not, she's an American beauty, I'm an American psycho, she's an American beauty, I'm an American, I'm an American, I'm an American psycho. <laughs> Where's the story? This is something I'm going to start That's nitpicking your... right away. Under the Cork Tree, nearly every song had some sort of substance to it, some sort of storytelling aspect. That's something that caught a lot of people because when you were a teenager at that age, the stories they were telling were perfect for a teenager to really get involved with. But to, to lead off with such a, I guess Matt put it the right way, wall of sound chorus without any context to it is really a, de a detracting factor for me here. Well, let's get into that right after I just uh, walk through the music here. Because in the very beginning, I, I mean, I'm not looking for context of any sort. I mean, yes, it was a little overbearing, but I also took it as, all right, they're having fun. Maybe I should have fun, too. Let's try it. Um, as we move a little bit further in, it builds to this kind of, like, brief hook, which was actually kind of cool. The male chorus line steps forward, um, sort of with these, like, lower, more baritone, uh, you know, woes again. Again, with the, you know, the, the onomatopoeia stuff that doesn't really mean anything, but here it actually felt, all right, it, it, it preps you a bit. It's like, it's like it breathes amidst the phrase. Um, also, like, the vocals hit this, like, dominant seven feel that was kind of absent in the remainder of the track. But let me just preface this again. About... Two weeks ago, we did speak about Gerard Way's album, and I gave, I think I believe like the second or third track, some leniency for creating longer chord cycles as opposed to settling on the two chord. Well, this is a two chord song. That's all it is. It's ones and fives straight through. I don't really mean to be a stickler. I'm sure a lot of things have been done, you know, pleasantly just through that groove, but I don't know. It, it It's by this point time this portion of the track is just kind of nauseating and and there was nothing else for me to look at there's no other texture for me to look at it's just a lot of like yelling and you know okay great we're in your face and then finally by this time we're, we're steeped in lyrics and it's true back to john's point there's not really much to look at all right we have generic lines here i think i fell in love again maybe i just took too much cough medicine and i'm the best worst thing that hasn't happened to you yet the best worst thing now it's all wait, wait, a little wait. bit of gibberish and very loose you can't really discern the story yet and it's really even looser when you take the next verse you take the full full truth then you pour some out okay now we're getting a dose of what was of what transpired here but how much really <laughs> really we were all just teased i think well you got to remember you take the full full truth that part is actually a second chorus it's not no, even a pre-chorus. It's... it's not even a pre-chorus. It gets repeated throughout the song as an additional sort of chorus work. It doesn't bring any content to the actual verses themselves. It's not propelling those in any way. It ends up setting you more... No, for... that's the... Vo I'm pretty sure that's just a, an extension of, of, of the verse here. Well, then it's a repetitive extension of the verse because that gets used for the same exact way with the same exact... Uh, musical progression later on in later on in the song itself it's not it's still not doing anything either that it's, or it's a pre-chorus of sorts i mean you're right it look there's there's certain little things i'm looking at here and there's certain little things i'm i'm ignoring I, which is why I'm, I'm still trying to like maintain my positivity throughout here uh for instance sure energy is high I do kind of like that in the verses, this crash symbol kind of just stepped off a little bit for to make the verse feel a little bit lighter. And also really, really liked the bass line in the verse. I like the fact that, again, when you take away the crash symbol, it kind of uh, elevated the bass line. It, it allowed it to take a little bit more prominence, I think, in the verse. Um, 
It was easily the most interesting thing to me here, the bass, because first of all, it's slap bass, who doesn't love good slap bass? And also because it was like working in this chromatic motion, which again was absent in the rest of the track. By contrast, the bass, the vocals, as I said, overbearing. He's not really screaming, but I think the volume level that he hits just began high and never really fluctuates from that. He didn't have much variation, at least in the first track. You know, he comes up and down a little bit. You know, he shows a little bit of that that range that he has here yeah he kind of stayed also a lot of the lyrics are spoke screamed like spoken screamed they weren't actually screamed but he was speaking them very aggressively it just i don't know it just it seemed to be like a complete mishmash and while there were high points and i agree that the bass work was really nice there wasn't much else to support it so it wasn't enough all right well let's talk about one other thing that i i found really deterring and and really difficult to defend and that was the wraparound to the chorus which I thought was cliche as hell. I mean, he holds the five chord, and then one by one, the vocalists start stacking the tones of your major triad, a la Three Stooges, let's say. Yeah. You know, I'm not even sure that they hit the seventh there, which is really what's what's more common, I think, in the wraparound for, uh, for recent pop rock music history, but they just chickened out. They didn't even do that. They, they, they used the beat as the pickup to the chorus, so it felt so just courtesy. Like, you know, well, this is a tool I can use to get back to the chorus, because we need to do that. And it was also lacking a little bit of the instrumentation, which would have actually used it. It would have been a bridge in, in such a case. They could have gone, you know, you could have, you could have started out. with, let's say, something that people recognize, but before it becomes a cliche, could have expanded it. Yeah. Lots of possibilities here, but none of it really happens. This is just, we're still in very formulaic territory. It's back to the chorus. Um, granted, I do like that, that male chorus line on the woes, but, you know, that's, that's about all there is to it. By the time we get to the bridge, I have almost the same commentary as I did for the bridge in the first track. There's almost... No chord at all here. Everything just kind of pulls back. It's just drums and vocals, but that doesn't really change up the tone. You still have the same energy level. They're still screaming. In fact, here, I said they weren't screaming before. It was just like loud volume. They're, here, they're definitively screaming, and, and that just makes up for the energy that the other instruments lack. So there's no change up in tone. It's just a variant of intensity that doesn't really get me in any way because I haven't proven it. Well, because that intensity doesn't really lead anywhere or cause anything or explain anything. It's just energy. And the energy really doesn't speak to the content of the song. I mean, American Beauty, American Psycho, excluding the actual works, uh, video work or uh, television work that these may be based upon, just the combination of those two ideas, Beauty versus Psycho... That could be extremely powerful. That yeah. is a great idea. There's a She's a beauty, a... I'm a psycho. Great, but neither of these are really portrayed. It's just a baseline. There's a dose of that in the bridge. If you're looking at, at the lyrics specifically, you have altar boys, altered boys. We're the things that love destroys. I'm an American. I'm an American. You, me, us, them. We're just resurrection men. I'm an American. I'm an American. Us, we were only meant to make you live again. Us, we were pity sex. Nothing more and nothing less. It, it's a little vague, and yet none of this really seems to match, I think, the intensity of the track, unless you take this as a kind of like, all right, well, let's rouse you up, because, well, we're American. America. Yeah, like, I, like that, I that's was That's the only the dose of, of, of irony that I get here. It's just so much more could be done in this department. It was almost coming off as they were trying to be patriotic while doing this song. Just a repetition of, 
I'm an American. All right, you have and a male the, chorus line, and, and that matches. <laughs> but it doesn't, like, it's not an uncompleted phrase. It's, I'm an American. It's not, I'm an American dot, dot, dot. There's no ellipsis when they say it. There's no pause. There's no holding of breath. It's well, just the, there. She's an American beauty. I'm an American psycho. There's but, just more like the concept that you're an unformed American. It's It's just... It's it's lacking in this case. It's lacking punch to really just go with any idea, and it seems aimless that way. The fact is, this is something that I, I frequently go back to. There's no invitation to these lyrics in the music itself. That's the problem. Like, I look at the lyrics, and then I'm like, okay, there's a point. There's a point to be had here. I see it. But the music is a drop in the bucket. You'd, you'd hear it in a playlist uh, or in a Spotify playlist if this was the kind of, like, genre at hand. I don't think you'd really notice it. You'd never like think, ah, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. You need to buy the album. You need to be following along with the lyrics, and I just don't see the, the cause. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that all in all, as a title track, it's a poor execution, and it doesn't really get me invested in. Again, the, 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 the John's right. The theme work in the title of the record and the title of the album, because also like the, um, the album art has. A young boy in front of the White House with half of his face pasted, painted like an American flag. In mm-hmm. black and white, too. And I mean, it's another use of symbolism it's, here. It's but. really strong symbolism on that album cover. I was kind of excited just based on the album art for the album we were getting because I thought there was going to be controversy. Uh, and To be honest, and I thought it was a little... I, I, I thought it was a little... It's heavy-handed. Yeah. But, but still, I, I thought at least it had some kind of theme or... Or, or message. I thought there was a message. But you know, the funny thing is that in some ways that almost reflects, like, really kind of reeling me back here because it makes me think, like, even the, the lyrical content itself or that theme present or otherwise in the album cover is is almost, like, just as, as cliched as the music itself. Like, sure. it has been the, the theme, you know, in American culture pretty much since the, the mid-early 2000s. And, like... It's just coincidence that those two things have simultaneously remained cliches. You know, you go back to the same themes. It's like, renew it somehow. Renew one thing or the other. And that would have at least, you know, drew me in. Our next track is one of the singles off the record. It's called Centuries. And to start, it features a sample of Tom's Diner. For those who don't remember, Tom's Diner was a famous song that was made, I believe, before the 80s. The original track done by Susan Vega. I think, um... The original? No, I think it was 80 or 81. Yeah, the original was 80 or 81, and then in the 90s, a uh, techno kind of remix band called DNA remixed the song, and it reached all new heights. And Five seconds is up. Can't do it over five seconds. We'll get sued. But yeah, so, and this song is featured in... In the beginning and in the pre-courses, sort of, in this track. Which I thought was interesting, because, well, A, I really love Tom Steiner, actually, as a song. It's catchy, it's, it's you know, it's fun, it's interesting. Well, apart from that, there's other things I go, I can go to here that um, I think are, are easy for me to, easier for me to jump on board with than the previous two tracks. For instance, we start off with uh, Piano. Keeps kind of this steady figure going in the right hand, which really, really, really reminds me of Dark Horse by Katy Perry. Uh, which was actually on the, the album we reviewed by her, uh, Prism, um, which we reviewed in uh, episode 95 with, uh, at, at the behest of Afterbirth Monkey. <laughs> but um, it, it sounded like almost the same figuration, so it was hard for me to get that off my mind as we went through it. And I'm not going to say it's not 
useful here. Like, let's just set that aside, all right, whatever it's lifted or not, forget it. But it does help to apply, I think, a little bit more color to the piano bass line, which goes along this, this steady uh, bass progression, minor one, major three, major six, major five, major two, and then back to minor one. It's a delicate progression, and it does set a little bit of a background mood. This whole thing actually makes the song a lot more initially enjoyable and approachable. Because instead of a wall of science piece, instead of just getting a lot of stuff right away, a lot of words, a lot of everything, we're now being introduced. Mm -hmm. It's not, here's a thing, it's not part B, part C of a story or anything like that. It is an actual build. Yeah, I think the, that's great. I think that it that's true. Introduction is a good uh, observation because that's really in contrast to the last two tracks. They just you know threw you into the water and and hoped that you would find your way to the surface. But after this intro, we do get the chorus right away before we get any verses. And I mean, it's not a terrible chorus. Honestly, reading it, it feels a little poetic. I mean, it's a little cheesy, but some legends are told, some turn to dust or to gold. But you will remember me. You will remember me for centuries. I mean. It's not bad. It's, it's, it's catchy, and it's, it's, you know, a little poetic. And the melody behind that is also much stronger here because it's a little bit more paced. It's got, it's got I suppose, would be that quote-unquote epic feel. You know, there's certainly character here. The character is embodied within the melody itself. For dramatic emphasis, he tends to hold out the B. Once the bass, like, strikes the five chord, which is A, um, at the end of the progression, so you get this sort of longing sus two with that B over that, and of course, where does that land you? Right on, remember me for centuries, and that's right there on that syllable, centuries. Now he does this here, and he also does it throughout the entirety of the track, whenever he returns to the chorus, and several times within the chorus. In fact, three instances in the chorus, and we probably get about three choruses. So, I don't A know, lot. I liked it the <laughs> first time. I was obviously intrigued enough to kind of like, you know, peer into this. Like, all right, what's he doing there? That's a nice, that's a nice overtone for the chord. But by the fifth and sixth time, I started to realize there's no more peaks here. It's not, it's not going to turn that into something else. That is the high point. That's as high as this, this track is ever going to get. Now, to your point earlier, we're not going to get, you're right, I don't want all rise. I don't need that. I don't need this, like, consistent buildup. But perhaps a little bit more of a subtle arc. Well, also, I feel like at least if you're going to have that high of a point, that you would do that later. Don't start with the chorus and hit that high point and then go back to it the rest of the song. Yeah. At least leave some mystery. And I'm getting I'm getting a little bit curious as to why they seem to be starting songs with choruses. Starting songs with the rousing part of it, the, the, the part that you're supposed to sing along with. You don't have to introduce a hook like this right away. Yeah. It's it it can be a lot more appropriate and a lot better utilized when you you spend some time on it. You spend some time on the song. Build up to this point. With the lack of build up, and yes, here in this chorus, we get a build, but it's such a quick build to it. It's such a, a propelling to it that it's starting to feel like that wall of sound again. Mm -hmm. The motion is now being lost because once you hit this plateau, even if you're going to reach it again, it's still just a plateau. There's also the part where when the chorus ends and you get this sort of ending motion to it with a little more of the da da does that it just doesn't quite feel too natural it's another one of those kind of chorusy background vocals that here it feels definitely tacked on again well the transitions are not stellar on this record thus far and this song is kind of no exception i mean the tom's diner sample serves as sort of a transitionary period you know it's the intro to the, the, the this song and then it transitions between the chorus to the verse but 
I don't know, it's not really a strong transition because it still kind of drops and chumps suddenly. Um, overall, lyrically also, the chorus, the verses don't get much more punch than the chorus did. You know, they're okay, the verses, but they're not great. It's better lyrical work than we've seen so far. Correct. Mummified my teenage dreams. No, it's nothing wrong with me. The kids are all wrong. The story's all off. Heavy metal broke my heart. All right. Well, I mean, we're not getting really like super metaphors, great storytelling, but at least here there's a lot more cohesion going yeah. on. Instead of being just abstract. random tagline, abstract, it's it's forming something. I was behind it, I suppose. I do admit that the character felt a little bit different here. For instance, you have this like grand epic uh, setup as of the opening chorus, and then here in the verses, all right, the character feels a little different. It's back to a little bit more attitude. Um, I, I don't know. I think I felt it, it was a little bit unbecoming after the tone of the intro. But once again, I can't dismiss the fact that his vocals are still very playful and that this is one of the main reasons that people have flocked to Fall Out Boy because I don't think they go to Fall Out Boy for the chord progression. I don't think they go to it for those observations I'm making. I don't think they're even really going to it for the, the choruses, come to think of it. I think they really go to it for his attitude in the verses. I think that's the main thing here. It's him. Uh, uh, Patrick Stump just bouncing around in that sort of like half falsetto and he does that in in the first verse he does it in the second verse Um, come to think of it it's even a little bit further enhanced in in the second verse it feels like he he adds just a a little bit more um, a little bit more attitude yeah I mean my my biggest problem I think with the chorus too is even though I, I truly did enjoy it the for for halfway through the song and I'm still it's still bouncing around in my head it got hooked it got me hooked it does get really repetitive because when you have a good chorus with a lot of power usually most musicians will add a little bit of variety even if you're still doing the same inflection every time you'll change up the speed or change yeah. up you know the lyrics a little bit I mean some of my favorite choruses are things that sound similar but have progressive lyrics. So the lyrics change from chorus to chorus, but it sounds the same. Here, it sounds the same. It's the same words, the same presentation, it's the same speed, well, it's the same instrumentation. We do have like more musical, I think, melodies within the verse, within the, la- the later verse. We have like backup interludes, um, but it's not, you're right. It's, it's like, I don't think I feel, I don't think I feel a, a, a sort of punch in your face throughout these tracks. Everything is, I suppose, what they would consider within the confines of their track to be subtle. I just find it, you know, a bit of a cop-out. You'd throw in a little bit here as a courtesy to make it slightly unique. Well, one of the other things that was almost predictable was the breakdowns that we're going to use at the end of every chorus to go into the next verse. The funny thing is I actually liked it here. In the no, bridge no. this time, I it liked was the good. bass flourish. It was good for what it was, but it was completely forecast. No, no, that's true. That is true. There's the, uh, lots of things here that I don't think you could really be, like, shocked by. Um, and we do re-implement the Tom's Diner sound bite. For instance, uh, have we even mentioned that since the beginning? There's a little trick that, I mean, rather a flaw that I think we're going to come back to later in that there's a lot of implementation of sound bites throughout this album. And I'm not so sure it's always blended well, it strikes me as almost just as random as some of these verse-chorus transitions. Well, I did mention it. Re- it, it does re-implement well, granted, at the end, but it's just like, well, 
that took a while. <laughs> I mean, I did mention at the start of the track that they did use that sample. Um, it, it's, but it is. You're right. It's when I mentioned it initially. It's just like, oh, here's a thing. Uh, okay. And then we forget about it because then the track is born into something completely different. But they still keep just, bringing it back at the end of every course. They do bring it back, but I don't know if it's like it's, it doesn't feel integrated to me in mm -hmm. some sense. It's just. It's just there, and then you wrote it loosely around. If you point is, if you had taken it out, I don't think you'd notice. No, I enjoyed. It's really that it was... just there for you to be like, aha, reference. Right. Well, <laughs> and I mean, honestly, truthfully, it worked for me only because I did go aha, reference, and I like that song. Yeah, so. it's not like the track could not exist without it. No, I agree, but I think it did benefit from having it, sort of. Maybe. No, what I just said is is no, <laughs> essentially, go no. to that question. Um, let's move on to track four. The kids aren't all right. And in this case, instead of getting a reference to something else, we get something that is a personal bone I want to pick with. The nonchalant whistling introduction. Nonchalant yeah. whistling is something that's been around for quite some time, and in this case... <laughs> you mean the beginning of time? No, no, no. I mean as a, as a point or... of a song, to begin a song this way. <laughs> the idea of just a lone guy walking along, Probably being all, it, it, it comes off as, you know, carefree. And in this case, it's used the same way it's used so many times. You set up a carefree idea to do something that's obviously not carefree with the kids aren't all right. Well, the reason it sounds very carefree is because he's whistling on the pentatonic scale, which is about as pleasing as they comment about as safe as it gets. But being safe also means it's inclusive because anybody can just make a melody on the pentatonic. Everybody knows that as the black keys. Go over to piano and just play the black keys. Guess what? You'll sound good, even if you had never had a lesson in your life. Um, moving on to the verse, though, I think the tone of this track born out of that nonchalant feel, takes more of this, like, relaxed 80s tone. Uh, the bass is fairly regular, as it usually is in 80s pop tracks, just these steady eighth notes. And the vocals were soft, but still very, very, very pop. It's sweet. Nothing remotely new here. Thus, it's hard for me to feel for this character, even though this track certainly is the first real breather, I think, on this album. The first marketed, like, like step down in, in scale of intensity. And I think that's mostly the vocals. The vocals are, because of the lack of intensity, they come off a lot more natural. They come off a lot more human instead of the high energy and rousing chorus work that they've been doing in the previous songs. This is, it's, it seems like it should be a lot more personal. I mean, it's got, but see, the problem is the chorus has this manufactured emotional rise that it's like, Here's an emotional chorus, because we're telling you it's emotional because well, of the instruments we're playing and how we're playing them. The obvious swelling is just to say we're being profound, damn it, and we're going to make you feel. And it really does the exact opposite. It well, just feels a little cliche and kind of false, honestly. It's about the blend here, because, like, when you start with the verses, I'm looking at a chord progression that felt like it was one, major four, minor six, and then, like, back to the major four, just to, I think, like, drag out the moodiness a little bit. I'll give it some credit, I think, for not going to the five right before we go to the one there, that it would be a little bit too storybook and way too, like, 80s pop, I think, for this track. By going back to the four, it really does maintain a moody tone that, you know, are it cliche or otherwise, I think there was more potential here in the verse. It's familiar territory, nothing special, but it has potential then they just kind of like ruin that with the chorus. And that's my main problem here. It's about that connection, rather lack of connection. It's just a heavier version. It crashes. We all knew it would crash. And the melodies, I don't know. 
I like them. I think they do soar. They like hold the three for emphasis on the four chord. That was kind of like a nice little major seven deal. But um, I I don't know. I I don't. I think that I'm supposed to feel something here, which is just not coming across. Perhaps because the cap was just preordained for this track. The song is conveying a longing feel. I don't feel longing, but that's what I think the narrator is trying to convey. It's again, it's it's mostly I think the, the fault of it is that very cliche build and structure and this is not the first time we're seeing any cliches on this record and it's not going to be the last either. To, to be well, clear about what i just said it's it's two things mainly like that are conflicting with me i think the melodies were strong in the chorus i think the beat work i think the crash that was that was as predictable as as they come I, it was just you know come on give us a little credit you know for instance that could have been accomplished perhaps with just the vocals and maybe a more softer side like I don't I feel like we don't really need that 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 cap every single time. I also feel like everything we've heard so far on this record we could have heard from 2007 on That's on any of their I've been records. Saying, yeah. You know, their earlier records not so much, but definitely from 2007 on these could be on any of those albums. Slingshotting back though, we do get a little bit more diversity in in the second verse. I'm pretty sure the vocals start doubling. That was kind of interesting. Um you know, when considering it still is more or less like downplayed, like 80s pop or or soulful edge, I I was still feeling that. But it's it's you know the back and forth is is again preordained as I would call it. But the only part that I really really liked as far as this, uh, the close of this was concerned was an interlude where it steps forward with just these like singular piano notes just echoing and and uh, and accenting this this like netherworld in between the again the crashes that we all know are going to come that's that's about the only moment here you know yeah the rest but, of it is just all right but going they, through the motions but they put in some of like the oh my god are you just a bunch of emo kid lines it's really oh in the lyrics yeah <laughs> in the lyrics i mean it gets it gets to be the sort of stuff that you write in your diary that's funny because the pop uh feel itself would never even like you know bring you to that kind of feel i would i would it was like light fm and you you get uh, it's this it's this right here and sometimes i just want to sit around and gaze at my shoes and let your dirty sadness fill me up just like a balloon like, come on are you, at this point you're not even trying to go with cinema uh synonyms you're just going with the first thing that comes to your mind well <laughs> fill me up uh, like a balloon yes yeah. <laughs> you know dirty sadness dirty sadness there. that can be a descriptor but it's not describing anything here it's just dirty sadness i mean I, i'm thinking of just dirty water soapy gummy up stuff i mean that's not really evocative uh, evocative of any feelings it's just something that i let drain away because it's useless at this point going back to an earlier point in the verses where i mentioned that there was sort of like this moodiness like dragged out simply by returning to the to the to the four chord i i want to be clear that like that's not a major thing that's really like Okay, that's only in comparison to, I think, what was the expected chord at that moment, which would have been the five chord, which, as I said, would have been, like, really way too storybook. But by going back to the four, there's just, like, this slight, like, okay, we're going to withhold. Just barely. But that really doesn't do the lyrics justice in any capacity whatsoever. You know, I would say toss the chord progression entirely, because really what I get overall um, is a relative moodiness. Frankly, I would just call it at peace. And that doesn't match. I liked the whistling. 
That's good. It's with, good for you. With that, we'll move on to track five. I like five. whistling too. Uma Thurman. Okay, rant time. Uh oh. This song right, is. You start. Okay, so this is a generic dance song. Fine. Plenty of pop punk bands have done dance songs. Best executed by Bowling for Soup, who did a song called A Dance Song. And they sang about how they wrote a dance song to get famous and get money for their college, their kids' college tuition. Like, it was a sellout song, and they wrote it that way. And it's hilarious. This, however, is not ironic in any capacity that I can tell. And it features one of my favorite TV themes of all time for no reason. TV show called The Monsters, which if you're an old soul like I am and Steve is, you would remember the show. It's a black and white TV show about a monster family who lived together. A lot of fun, very funny. Their theme song was kind of a surf rock kind of tune. Like a surf rock exotica deal. Yeah. Not and Dick Dale. It's featured here with no connecting points to anything else. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't need to be here. And like Steve said before, we had the, the Tom's Diner thing, which didn't need to be there either in that song, but at least added a little something. Like, I enjoyed hearing it yeah, here. Yeah, it felt like there was some, some integration. Here, none. It doesn't transition in. It doesn't transition out. And I don't get it. I just don't. They're both in minor. Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, there's a progression here that I think is important to note. And, well, let's see how we feel Like by the time we get to the end of this arc. Um, begins kind of like... It doesn't begin, unlike that, that previous track you mentioned with the, uh, uh, the, the Suzanne um, Vega Oh, uh, sound well, bite. Tom's, Tom's Diner. Yeah, unlike yeah. that, that that like started you off right in the beginning, sort of as like your introductory thing. You know, lots of tracks do that. Let's face it. Okay, so we had our beef with it, but lots of tracks begin with samples, maybe just to set a tone, and then they go in and do whatever they want because technically the arc doesn't really begin until the sample ends. That was that instance. In this particular case, the track begins first with something completely different. We begin off with like this kind of like theater piano feel. Felt very, very bright like a very bright piano sound it had a lot of potential here even the vocals it was it, it was it, it was a different feel than anything on the album before and then it chooses that time to make this awkward transition into the monsters theme song and just like why why i i i that's so random and then after the theme song it goes into what isn't even the chorus? I guess the pre-chorus. Who knows at this point in the no, record? No, no, no. But it goes. Define it. But it goes into I can move mountains. I can work a miracle. Work a miracle. I'll keep you like an oath. May nothing but death do us part. Which is the like the slow dance chorus thing that made no sense connected to the monsters theme. But that's the chorus um, in the beginning. And that's then the there's first. A ver- there's a verse that that comes later. Well, here's here's the thing about the chorus is because there are two. It's two separate choruses. The first one, I Can Move Mountains, no, no, because they are distinctly an A and a B for me. They are not the same exact line. They do decide to change it up, but it's more like an A and something that's kind of like the first A. The breakup with that Munsters theme, coupled with basically platitudes for lyrics, I mean, it's just unemotional at I this under, point. I understand your point just in terms of the verses and chorus. Like, you're looking at the lyrics and it's like, oh, yeah, that really feels like that should be like another refrain. You know, I can move mountains, I can work a miracle, work a miracle, I'll keep you like an oath, may nothing but death do us part. And that repeats 
few times. That is really your chorus. But it's true, we do have another refrain. She wants to dance like Uma Thurman. Bury me till I confess. She wants to dance like Uma Thurman, and I can't get you out of my head. That also feels like a very major refrain. But I feel like the, the, the musical center to me is really more on that beginning, the I can move mountains. That's where I feel it. Can I ask a question? Yes. Is this a reference to Pulp Fiction? Possibly. I considered it. I mean, like, what is... She wants to dance like Uma Thurman mean. Like, I get that you're trying to make a reference to a famous actress, and that's fine. But, like, if you're going to reference someone dancing, uh, you know, mention someone who's famous for dancing. I mean, that dance scene in Pulp Fiction is pretty, pretty famous. Yeah, it's pretty big. But if, But it's not even clear that that's the reference. I mean, I can't think of any other movie she's danced in. I don't recall. Was that too kind of exotica dance theme? Yeah. Sort maybe. of. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Then that's the reference. Oh. That's, that's the only reference there. That's then the maybe connection. that's what connects it to the Monsters theme? I don't it know. This song it. aggravates me. There's Look, here's a... As I said, I was going to try to wrap this around and like work this through my head as to whether there is anything that like works in terms of the, 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 the combined factors here. I did determine that in the end... That little Munsters theme segment was more memorable than the actual verse, which what? is problematic because then I, I feel more of a center around the sample, frankly, than the I Can Move Mountains bit because it, it almost like took over the theater piano sound, which, as I said, had potential, could have gone into something there. But once you just jar me with that Munster song, well, I shouldn't say jar because after, after all, I enjoyed it more. But now my focus is on that. Yeah. Hence, I, you know, when you go back to the theater piano thing, I'm just like, all right, I see your trick. These are just segments placed together. There's no blend. There's, the, it's, it's a montage. It becomes just sloppy work as you put the two really divided items together. Not, not two, three. Because the, the actual like core of the verses where you get a little bit different, the stench, the stench of summer sex, it's not really related to what came before, what came after. The flow between these pieces is just non-present. They're very abrupt, very abrupt in changing the overall tone of what the song is doing without really ta- changing the like evocative feeling of the music itself. My, my gripe with the lyrics is only less so just because I've accepted the framework of a dance song and 90% of the time in pop dance songs, the lyrics don't matter that much. That said, they should matter, but I'm just saying I've kind of let that go at this point. However, my other very important question is, where's the rest of the band? They were here a song ago. Where did they go? Why did they leave? Can they please come back? (laughs) I just, like, this is clearly a dance song that's overproduced, and it's all production value. It's, there's, you know, I'm not to say that they didn't play their instruments in it, but it just doesn't sound like a band song. It sounds like a dance song. Furthered later on in the bridge, because we start getting this, like, slowed, warped version of the, uh, the Munster theme song, which was, or, or rather, I think it was sort of like a mix of that between that and the, and the opening chorus, which is, is strange to me, because it almost makes me want to snap back. This was the point I was kind of building to, is just like, they do have interesting turnarounds, where when they revisit the blend between these sound bites and the choruses they wrote or the verses they wrote, there actually is a hint that it might work. But it's only in retrospect. You realize that more in in the rap back words rather than in the beginning. They, they I, I can only assume this is the intention, but it may very well not be. Maybe it's just a, a, a sloppy songwriting where I can see exactly how this was put together. You wrote it in here, works well, great composition, 
but you didn't put the effort into introducing the soundbite. You just dropped it. So it's either one or the other, either that or they really just wanted to make you say WTF, which considering their playful style is probably the point. I just, I don't know if I buy it. There's not a lot of comedy in the rest of the record. Why here? Yeah, and let's not forget the end with that, you know, what else would make this dance song cliche complete? Fist-pumping oos. Like Yeah, that's something that really starts like 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 literally out bro oos fist-pumping style. Out of the bridge, there's this kind of like this longer interlude and you have these yeah, these inserted fist pump like, you know, again back to like the male choir line just like in the second fourth beat, you know. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, it's just like inserted in there. Again, another random soundbite. I don't think that's really like, implemented well. That's where it goes back to your, your just, this is a dance track. I mean, point. and that cliche, like, I, I've always liked that kind of cliche almost better in metal songs. So at least, like, it adds an energy in a metal song. You know, like when Metallica does something like that. And you, know, that? you can go, oh, and you can actually make it kind of scary. You can use it as an emotional piece. But in this dance song, it's just, it's an, another thing. And this is a band that gave us Dance Dance, which was a great great dance song that had a story. It was like a weird combination, and it works so well. And this is the antithesis. Yeah. Let's go from here to track six, Jetpack Blues. Um, At this point, we're just hitting a formulaic stride. They're continuing to sound like Katy Perry. Um, The whole track is predictable. No. No. Well, okay, no, not the whole track. It made me think... uh, Leaving on a jet plane, don't know when I'll be back again. Well, what well, the song started with no connection, the, though. the piano and the percussion, especially that almost bell-tolling kind of a nature to it, it was a good introduction. It was a nice well usage in this case, but because it doesn't go anywhere, there's nothing for it to support, because that's what the percussion was. It was a supporting character for a larger role. It, it was not enough, really, to stand up on its own. I don't know. To, talking about the music, I, I was kind of thrown back maybe two tracks or so. I thought we were kind of back in, like, this misty 80s feel, for instance. Yeah, the bass is back that. to being very crisp. It's a little bit more electronic, sure. Um, it's steady. But the piano is back. It kind of supports the, the chords. Um, it supports it with, like, more steady chords. And then the melody... I thought it was strong, but also feels like it's just been done before. The most immediate name that comes to mind in, in modern uh, pop is uh, Sam Smith. Yeah. It's very much in that sort of like soft, pruning kind of... You feel that there is emotion there, but it's, unfortunately, I don't think it really has the same punch that Sam Smith does. So, you know, because you, he's not letting you... Immer- Fall Out Boy is not immersing you into that feel because you're bound to just snap back, and this is where I go back to a similar problem as in previous tracks. I think it's even worse here, though. Even worse. Because we have a pre-chorus, still good, still pretty good, born right out of the verse. Um, We go from the verse, which was just like on a minor one, major three, just that like two chord rocking back and forth, and the pre-chorus is like add in a third chord. It's more of like this, this, this three chord cycle, one, six, three, one, six, three. And the tone is right in line with it. It feels like this is, this is kind of growing the verse into something. But then that chorus steps in, drums are mechanical as all hell. No musical connection whatsoever that I could find. Absolutely none in this case. It might as well have been a different song. And the vocals just hit that same, that same peak, that same height. There, there's you're, It's very clear that this is that preordained peak 
This is the cap that we've been building to, and you could have seen it coming a mile away. No, 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 no. In this case, we oh, weren't even see. building to this that's, one. This is that's a true, cap a contradiction for something there. else. It's not a build. It's not a natural progression to no, you're this right. cap. You're right. If it's not natural, then how could you predict it? But then once it happens, it's just like, really? In, in the track that I had hope? Well, it's predictable in the sense that this course sounds like almost every other course. The problem is is that they take a textbook course and put it in almost every song, and we're going to continue to see that as we go through this record. But my biggest gripe with this song is the only moment John liked, and there's a guitar solo-ish no, no, no. kind of moment. It's a moment. guitar transition. The reason why it's great is because it was a nice cool-down little moment. This the reason the why it's terrible is that that could have been used throughout the entire song to an amazing effect. It could have it been just had no place at that moment other than to be something else. Exactly. But it was Why great. That that, that piece, yeah. the way it blended into the, the final rendition of that percussion line was beautiful. Saying, let's, let's it, would call been, it... it would have been perfect for a melody piece. It would have been perfect for an harmony piece. It would have been perfect supporting the vocal work in the verses. It was just a courtesy call at the end of the day, though. Let's call it a bridge instrumental. A bridge instrumental. I, I like that. that. Yes. But this bridge instrumental... In its own little universe, I agree. It was very good. I liked it. I mean, there's no denying that their guitarist, when he shines, has talent. However, in the song, it was it served no purpose other than to be there, and that irritated me, Let's too. Let's define it a little bit. It's like a folksy, country, kind of southern rock, uh, you know, almost like a solo itself, but it still feels like it's a pattern, like something else could have been built off this. Yeah. It doesn't really feel like it has that solo quality, but it's uh, acoustic rhythm guitar, and then there is a more secondary instrument, uh, more, like a soulful whammy electric guitar. Maybe that's more of your solo. Whammy. Yes, a whammy. And it's, uh, granted, all right, poor entry into this, but decent vocal work over it. That's the defense that I have for this, and it's the only defense, because his vocals tie it together once again. It's the same instance as the last track. They work it in in retrospect, but not when they arrive there. They just introduce a section. Hey, here, here's the thing. Yeah, but and then all of a sudden, they start revealing the blend belatedly. And uh, again, you lost me already. So now it's like you're just reeling me back on a rope. And they ended up culminating with another rendition of that very electronica pop chorus. It doesn't fit with that piece as well. I mean, yeah. it's another time. You coulda, you shoulda, you probably will in the future if you want to keep doing this. But... Honestly, you 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 could have gone so much more. I felt like well, it's it's the it's verses. That... The only thing that I'm really like put putting here out out here is the verses. The verses and and uh, the way the verses kind of like overlaid over that like over the bridge instrumental, as we're calling it. That um those two pieces of the track I think really really worked, and I think it was sweet. But at the same time. I, I gotta even give it another markdown because it's been, just been done a million times over. So it's it's hard for me to feel anything even there, let alone the, you know, the divorce of the chorus departures. At this point, we're just grasping at trying to find an emotion, and truthfully, at this point in the record, I feel kind of numb to any kind of emotion, which is <laughs> oh, great, great segue into our next track. Saying the uh, the album made you lose faith. <laughs> Um, track seven is called Novocaine. Speaking of being oh, numb, is an awesome transition. Yes, um, credit. Thank you. Credit due. Um, this one at least had a bit of a unique intro to start. Instrument instrumentally, it did something. But as Steve, watching Steve's face drop the minute the chorus kicked in after this intro, 
It well, was like, why even bother? Let's treat it chronologically. Give we me, give me the intro. Break it down. Start off with kind of a weird vocalizer effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, we get a crash right up front, but it's it's not the chorus initially. It's like this sort of semi-industrial, like drum box, drum box tick right on the the two and the four. Um, chord progression is still kind of tiring. The melody still feels kind of the same, but I like the drum work. The drum work here was actually better than any previous track. Very smooth, even with a little na-na-na in the background. Okay, great, we got onomatopoeia. I could deal. I could deal for the drum work. Um, frankly, though, I think it was more the pre-chorus that was the problem, not the chorus. Okay. The pre-chorus steps in with such a shift in tone, not with the signature crash, though. Not with the signature crash that we've had in previous tracks. In this case, it's more of like a a lighter tone. It does the inverse as previous tracks have done. All of a sudden we get a new song by stripping away instruments rather than, you know, adding everything and adding the drum box, adding the the crash cymbal. Instead it's a new track just by switching to a light FM song. And considering that you're going to contrast that with... With the chorus, which is inevitable. Well, not only that, but when you go to light FM from kind of a a, a, a more dismal, darker, definitely grittier undertone. From the earlier part, yeah. The combination is just... its Jarring is not even the word. In this case, it's really three different things. Because we go from a more gritty sound into a more light FN sound, into a chorus, which um, I'm not going to say it's as divorced from the pre-chorus. It's more uppity, it's quicker paced. Um, that's right when that, you know, filled me up with Novocaine rising. Uh, it, like... He's he's rising the notes with filled me up with Novocaine. You know he's he's like being playful with this. So it's kind of back to that that same character that we're used to getting from Patrick Stump uh, early on the record. Like I cited that as a positive from the very beginning. Well, I, I mean, like that he has character. I like that he does playful things with his vocals. But that's just a third element here that we've layered in. We started this track off with something very different. We moved into something very different, and then we arrived at what people might call his signature sound. And, where, where is it? Right, and also the fact is that his signature sound, that playfulness, while is something and worth citing because I, I do enjoy it, it's not enough on its own. We need something more than that. I mean, also, like the lyrics are kind of dark throughout, but still not very... Again, it's just, it's it's poor metaphors and it's poor structure. You know, I don't, I want... I want some better storytelling. And maybe we're just a little spoiled because you've been getting a lot of storytelling and not every song has to have a story. I want some better comping. But yeah, to be I just want, I want some kind of content here that's not just sound. Well, I want something other than I am your worst, I am your worst nightmare, I am your worst, I am your worst nightmare. I'm getting really, really sick of the repetition in the lyrics. Well, I'm getting, I'm getting sick of the vagaries. You know, like, he constantly throws out these lines that, that, imply things just from the line itself, but you don't get the story there. Yeah. And implications, I don't know, they only go so far. I think most of the more successful lyrical tracks have, have revolved around being detailed in its brevity. But having, because they took our love and they filled it up, filled it up with Novocaine, and now I'm just numb, now I'm just numb. Well, okay, who are they? <laughs> what are they doing that actually did this whole filling up with Novocaine? What does that even really mean? How did they numb your love? How do you even numb love? I can this is like watching a movie. A movie. Hey, who's that guy? No, was he the guy from before? I don't know if he did that. It's, uh. it's, and then it's just, well, it's the lack of actual inflection on the repetition. I think that's probably the key 
to why I don't like the repetition. It's delivered exactly the same um, way. I don't know if I can agree with that. I think I think there was more dynamics in this track again with his playful vocals with that brand uh, than you're giving it credit for. But um, it's still a pretty big problem, though. When it's a problem in many other verses, I agree. The the crux of your song is just repeating the same line. Well, the thing is, there's nothing wrong with repeating the same line, but like you said, we don't know why he's their worst nightmare. Like, why? Tell us. If you tell us, if you give us a story or give us an example or an an act or something that was done to hurt that person or to upset that person that makes you their worst nightmare, it at least gives context. We have no context here. Let's be thorough here, because after all, we are only pulling snippets. This is a black, black ski mask song, so put all of your anger on in the truly gruesome do we trust. I will always land on you like a sucker punch. And then singing, I am your worst. I am your worst nightmare. I am your worst. I am your worst nightmare. If you knew, knew what the bluebirds sang at you, you would never sing along. Cast them out because this is our culture. These new flocks are nothing but vultures. Because they took our love and they filled it up. Filled it up with Novocaine. And now I'm just numb. Now I'm just numb. And don't mind me. I'm just a son of a gun. So don't stop. Don't stop until your heart goes numb. Now I'm just numb. I don't feel a thing for you. You know that there was pain here. You know that he built up to the point where he had to numb himself out to just edit it out, essentially. Okay, great. You can relate to that in the way of whatever your vice is of the time. Well, if you're an alcoholic, sure. You're a drug addict, sure. Or maybe you just do it psychologically, sure. The problem I have, really, is the shifts in tone in the track. Numb would define essentially one segment of this track, one musical segment, and that was the second segment, ironically, not the Light FM song, right? Which right. I saw as such a departure then because I began so, so, so differently. And it's like maybe he's telling the arc over the course of this, but how do you get, how are you supposed to get diversity in this track when every track built with, you know, one way or the other, a different piece of that same exact tone? They, they, Essentially, you don't get a unique track. You just get one of the herd. And the lyrics, whitewashed. Yeah. Well, and that's the big problem here, too, I think, is that they're very scatterbrained. I mean, this track especially, musically, is completely scatterbrained. And it does kind of whitewash the lyrics in this fact that it just becomes plain. You can't really see it past the music. The only thing I like, uh, it's a bit of a minor point, but I like uh, a little effects on the interlude sort of in the middle there's always like these little things here you know he strikes the ninth a couple times but they're still very very fleeting you know he steps in there a little bit of a musical aha and then it's just right back to the vocals at the end which make this come across much more as a club track than anything else if you could define it as a whole which you have to take your time going through these motions in order to retrospectively define it let's go to track eight fourth of july so, at the start of the track, I was kind of engaged in the intro. I thought it was really pretty. Um, and it, it, it's the first time we're actually getting some semblance of a build here. You we're know, getting really, really good texture going mm-hmm. on in this intro. I want to point out also this is like the third track in a row that's in E minor. That has a subconscious <laughs> effect on the listener. It generally makes you feel as if you really are hearing the same thing over and over again. You know, jump around. You got 12 to choose from. Yeah, well, that's that or seems fair, but I mean... 24, if major. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, the, 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 honestly, the, my biggest problem with this song and probably the rest of the record is that from this point forward, we don't really get a much variation in structure. We kind of, it's pretty intro, it has a great build, and then it goes right into the same exact chorus we've been getting in every song so far. I'll be blunt. The intro 
I liked better than any other intro on the album. Any other intro, this was the first one that just like hit me wholeheartedly. And the the, the pain of it is, I knew they were going to screw it up. I absolutely knew it at this point. It was just the empirical evidence suggests. But we get like these whirring flutes in the beginning. This like fast tapping with, with, with such rapidity, it almost struck me as, uh, as that Steve Reich track, um, Music for 18 Musicians, where it's just this, this constant tapping over and over and over again, and the tones slowly change. Well, we don't really get tones slowly changing here. We don't have the time frame with which to do that. That's like uh, an 18-minute track, 18-minute um, composition. But we do get a bass line that keeps it fairly diverse. It sounds like a bowed, maybe an upright bass, could have been a cello, not positive. But I like that it kept this feel around for the duration of the verse. In the verse, we, we begin on this sixth chord, we go up to a minor four, then we go down to minor one. It's, it's actually a, a rather pleasing chord progression for just a three chord progression. I mean, it had some emotional center to it. They're not, you know, they're not treating us like idiots. It's not the, the alteration, the slingshotting back and forth between uh, one and five like we got previously. And I think another reason why this, even beyond the chord progression itself, the reason why it feels more emotional is just because of that that uh, cello in the background. I think it's realized by the cello because it, the cello continues along the same bass line, the same bowed stretch below. But the chorus, I don't know, I'm back and forth on this. By the time we get to the chorus, for the most part, you're right. We do go back to the same problems as before. However, we do have some more continuity here than we had previously. For instance, we do keep the baseline. Baseline stays. But the everything else is so overbearing. The drums are overbearing. The the vocals are overbearing and finally the lyrics are overbearing. Your fireworks. <laughs> I mean, that's the major the major thing. Your fireworks. I feel like Well, it's not even that you were fireworks. It's you and I were fireworks. You and I. No, 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 okay, no. yes. You're all mucking this up. It was the 4th of July, you and I were, you and I were fire, fire, fireworks that went off too soon. And I miss you in the June gloom, too. It was the 4th of July, you and I were, you and I were fire, fire, fireworks. I said I'd never miss you, but I guess you never know. May the bridges I have burned light my way back home on the 4th of July. I said it that way because, frankly, that could have been a great Robert Frost poem. It could have. This... This is just, he's stuttering again. This is, he's trying to collect his thoughts and it's stream of conscious. I want to say something profound and yet, damn it, it's still not coming off as profound. Well, I tend to do similar things here. It's like, all right, I read the lyrics and then I try to, you know, all right, I, I, I read it in, in something that allows you to at least focus on the words themselves. Unfortunately, that's just never how it's presented. It's a lot, it's a lot more in your face. I don't need that for, for a love track. I'd prefer the... I frankly prefer if the first few measures here were just remixed for the duration of the track. Because they were so beautiful, I would pr- perhaps have considered that a kind of experiment in sound art. I mean, I think... I would have been immersed. You would at least have me in like an ambient wonderland. But based on the arc here, based on what inevitably comes, I don't really feel that. I, the granted, baseline, all right, great. I like the long drawn tones and everything, but those lyrics aren't really enough to get me. You and I, you and I were fire, fire, fireworks. That feels like, um, wasn't there a Katy Perry song that also surrounded this concept? Well, it was, uh, the Katy Perry song was more about individuality and that everyone's a unique firework. It was actually a lot more clever than this. Oh, it was well. more about... 
there you're we go. letting your inside shine and letting your your true passions flow. It yeah, was... I'm pretty sure having fireworks going off during so sex has been a cartoon shtick for I don't know that's how my point. long. Yeah. That was my point earlier. Is like that's you know that's what your big build up was. It, it's there's no how are you supposed to get the emotion in me that says oh you must have had such a wonderful thing. If well, you use the biggest cliche in the book, how, how are you going to instill think, but that in me? I don't even me? think it's that. I think it's how he delivers it that's the worst problem. Because, again, the lyrics read aren't, are a little repetitive but not terrible. It's the way he delivers them that really kills it. I think if, if there was either more sincerity or less sincerity, maybe it would have added something to it. But he's just kind of delivering them in this very forward way and it just it doesn't add anything to it there's no variety or range in his vocals there's no dynamics it's just kind of delivered almost as if he's letting them pour out of his mouth at this juncture um from here we go to track nine favorite record so by title alone i thought we were going to get something more like dead on arrival something more about they're them comparing themselves to music or a favorite record which they've done before and it's been a clever metaphor you know comparing love or lust to playing your favorite record and I don't mind that especially a music metaphor is kind of up my alley however you don't really get much of that in the actual track I mean at this point you're seeing the forest for the trees you're seeing the matrix code it, from start to finish this track is very easy to predict and very easy to understand it's sweet in tone but all, all in all it's still empty well to the point, I believe, that you're building, of course, the, the, the metaphor here is simply that, well, spin for you like your favorite records used to, in that, well, it's it's a, a dance track, kind yeah. of. Not, not entirely, but it's more the kinds of, let's read it out. Do you do, do you remember when we drove, we drove, we drove through the night and we danced, we danced to Rancid and we danced, and I confessed, confessed to you, riding shotgun underneath the purple skies and we danced, we danced with windows down, we danced, spin for you like your favorite records used to. It's really more just the comparison of like playing a record and going back into that nostalgia is the mm -hmm. same as sort of like the, the, the comfort, the comfort uh, aspect of it all. But, but the, it, I, I need to say something about music here, because once again, we're in the same exact uh, ballpark. We start off pretty interesting, harsh guitar, but kind of rich, steps in with these dense arrangements, like the sevens really shining through, I love that. But the pop verse in which these words are spoken, I don't know. I, I didn't like it the first time. I thought it was pretty vapid. I still didn't like it the second time. On the third time, I will admit, kind of grew on me. The guitar was like snuffled out by these generic, this generic keyboard drone, almost organ-like, and this had two effects on me. First of all, it was, first of all, it was, it seemed like a, a very weird reduction for their tone. Second of all, I thought it was a breather for the album that it had never had. Okay, yeah. I all I've been talking about like so far is like relative breathers with the confines of Wall of Sound. This is really a true breather. This is. Kind of back to that 80s feel. They always seem to, like, snap it back to that. This time it really gets gets soft. But you're getting the same... Ex well, maybe not the same exact, but the same chord progression as a build-up over and over and over again. We're not really getting any evolution of the music throughout the, the song. The cycle of this track within it, yes, I agree, is fairly is fairly predictable. And stagnant, um, frankly, for me. I mean, I just... We have some things, for instance. We have uh, 
vocalizing. Well, yeah, but <laughs> have a lot of that. But at this point, they add this kind of robot effect to the choruses that just, I mean, they're there. They're another showpiece, another, cli- uh, not cliche, well, yeah, cliche, but also another soundbite-esque tactic to make you remember the song. And if you need to implore tactics to get someone to remember your song, not beautiful, clever lyrics, great instrumentation, that stuff's memorable too. Like a tambourine, got to keep you with it. Right, because right? it had a tambourine you'll, in it. You'll fall away. And at this uh, point, I'm really wondering where the rest of the band is. I really, I, it, everything is just starting to come off as robotic, completely robotic. I'm not getting, yeah. no, not, it's not, not overproduced. overproduced. This is no. the opposite of an overproduced track. I think this it's is... more the concept that, well, they, they do slip back and forth between like rock and, you know, this power pop sound uh, fairly quickly. And it does seem like you know they 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 betray perhaps what could have uh, could have I don't want to say their sound because I always feel like whenever I say that it comes across as like you know horribly pretentious. Who are we to tell them what their sound is after all they've had ten years? In fact, that's the problem. I kind of wanted something newer. Maybe if I had just gotten the power pop sound, maybe it would be nice. Yeah. Maybe if that was the thing, and, you know, and they just kind of like dropped everything else. But y- you need to know who you are in order to sell a record. In this case, I wouldn't say produce. It feels over-meddled with. Like, they just couldn't leave things alone. They have to, like, keep trying to rearrange things until they find this one progression that works so well, and they decide that's the progression for an entire song, an oh, entire well, piece. It's just, that's, where's where's character? Where is... That's a contradiction. I don't think it's over-meddling. I think it's it's not enough meddling. I think there really could have been more attention to detail in the in the... The moment by moment transitions of this of this album. Anyway, we, we, we seem to be kind of building up a summation here, but uh, I, I will top this track off with exactly what you expected, because don't expect anything otherwise. We have the chorus, and the chorus it's back to that onomatopoeia, oh 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 over and over again, which at this point was just like kill me. That's th- this is not a this is not a pleasing rendition of it, and I frankly I haven't heard any pleasing renditions of onomatopoeia since uh, that second track, in fact, when the males took more of a baritone touch. But hold on to your seat. We're getting it in the next track, Immortals. This is track 10. So the intro actually here, I was on board with. It was interesting. It had kind of an R&B kind of feel, which was nice. I thought it had more of a Middle Eastern feel. Well, okay. For instance, when we step in with the flutes, we have these pretty awesome trills here. Um... And then the beat kind of matches on this, like, one uh, and three. One uh, oh, that's and true, three. Yeah. And that's very Middle Eastern, that uh, that style. Even by the time we get to the verse, I dig it. Guitars, kind of, like, rapidly fluttering between the ones, flat threes. I like I liked that. It kept, you know, stepping back to the one, though. It was anchored, but, um, but it was, you know, playful within that. It's, like, the first time I'm actually hearing an instrument that I think is as playful as his vocals are in right. many other tracks. But yeah, then once it goes into the course, do I have to say thing. anything? Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the problem. I think here is that Fall Out Boy is known for some engaging and pretty powerful choruses on their older stuff. I think the problem here is that we're not breaking it up enough, and that they're just going to the same dog and pony show every time. It's the same grouping of platitudes that they're using over and over again. These are lines that you can draw from wiki quotes. I'll be the watcher, watcher of the eternal flame. I'll be the guard dog of all your fevered dreams. I am the sand in the bottom half of the hourglass. Glass, glass. I love that reputation. Yeah. 
I try to picture me without you, but I can't. I mean, come on, Jerry Maguire was years ago. You don't have to be drawing stuff like you complete me and really hitting that yeah, level of cliche. That's the stuff that really gets me in the end. It's... Come on, because we're... <laughs> cause we could be immortals, immortals, just not for long, for long, and live with me forever now. Just pull the black curtains down. Just not for long, for long. First of all, immortals, but just not for long. Come on, I mean. Well, if they're highly, that's an, but that's an obvious use of a trope of oh, we'll be immortal, just not for long. That idea of we'll have discord in the idea. There you go. Have competing thoughts. Sure, but here it's just blatantly obvious that you're going to do something like that. There's something else that's a little more blatant. I thought this was really crappy lyric to melody arrangement. I mean, just in the breaking up of, you know, more, and then just, like, you know, inserting syllables where there's no the, need for them. Well, that, yeah, I mean, he doesn't do that a lot, but when he does, it's kind of obnoxious because... He creates an onomatopoeia out of a, a, a word because he needed more expansive melody because all his chorus consisted of was a word. I mean, there are ways to stretch out a word and make it work, but it did seem very forced here because there was not much more substance to that chorus except for him stretching right, well, that word always out. always the answer. Of course, there are ways. We just clearly didn't find it here. Yeah. He, and it was, that, that, that word, we could be in mo. Yeah. There's <laughs> an oscillation between the high, low, high, low. That was, that was a cliche unto itself, just having that arrangement of your peaks and valleys it was it was ridiculous and then you cop you cap it off with the actual word immortal said in such a way and you repeat it and it's the same exact thing and then you repeat it four times four times that's just poor it's re- it's bad I mean, I it's pure bad i don't think that i would defend that i don't think saying the same word four times is bad no no by it's itself. not it's it's the fact that there is Absolutely no, no deviance yeah. in the inflection. Wow. Or in the delivery or in the music. Yeah, he said it <laughs> once and hit repeat. Yeah. That's just poor. I don't think that's the... I don't know. I, I, I can't go that harsh. I think it's just a matter of, of... I think it's just a matter of there could have been more. There's always the question throughout this album. There could have been more. But... Yeah, that's never it. There never is. It, it's your it's your your textbook length chorus providing exactly the peaks that you feel is required. Like there's some kind of you know uh, form that needs to be filled out in order to uh, mass market an album like this. Which I just don't believe is the case, and we've had proof that it's not. And people seem to feel like there is. Track eleven, the Less final track. The on, <laughs> track eleven, the final track on the record. Twin skeletons. Parentheses. Hotel in NYC. Um, Another interesting tone, although it was a little bit belated to uh, to initiate, it almost felt like this was some kind of horror tale. Not just because it's called Twin Skeletons, but even just the music itself felt like it was, I don't know, pursuing more of a um, more of a cheeky horror story. Yeah, it had it's, a more rock and roll sound too. You know, it, it rock was, and roll with a macabre twist. Yeah, yeah and the, which felt the, closer to some of the other stuff they've done before. Well, that thumping bass drum was was doing a lot to actually give it maybe some emotion. The speed piano was nice too, but they 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 really did screw it all up when they started doing that guitar with just four rising chords over and over again. Same thing over and over again. Well, they won't escape the repetition. That's the problem. I mean, the structure of the song also, we had some actual guitar and drum work here. It was reminiscent of a lot of 90s stuff. I mean, particularly we identified it as sounding a lot like Cake. Well, that was the, uh, uh, (laughs) ah, 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 
I, well, actually, no, it's not onomatopoeias. In, in this case, it's words. Hold on and on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> and there was that over and over again, which is, I don't know, it, it's weak. I find it weak. Perhaps others would disagree. But that's the way the verse builds up. I suppose that would be considered your pre-chorus, even though the, the, it's kind of included within. It feels like it was born right out of the phrase. Um, yeah, I just have, I don't know, the, the chorus was barely memorable. Well, because at this point now, we're, we've figured... I think this is the thing that I have the most problem with as a fan of Fallout Boy, is that in previous records, the choruses stylistically and instrumentally weren't interchangeable. On this record, they are. And I mean, look, I mean, I've listened to plenty of bands where the choruses are kind of samey, but they usually throw in some kind of variety vocally or instrumentally to at least break it up a little. Whereas here... On a dime, the transitions from verse to chorus were identifiable, predictable, and instantaneous. And I think that was a big problem. Who wants to go first? Steve wants to go first. I'll go first if Steve doesn't want to go first. I know Matt does not want to nope. go first. Nope. I need I need to mull. Rochambeau? Take us out, John. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we use the word cliche a lot, and that's kind of what this whole album boils down. Down to to the uh, point where I almost want to ban the word cliche next review. Yes, well, let's, let's please <laughs> let's let's use a couple of synonyms for it. <laughs> we have trivial progressions in the chord. We have vapid uses of words. We have I don't know. But just go through the source. Pick out all these different things. We didn't get anything here that hasn't been done ad nauseum on the album itself. Except for, I think, two introductions. Uh, they had a little bit of texture to it. Maybe three. Mm, and those three were introductions. 15, 20 seconds of the song. Some of them extended into the verse. Some of them didn't. Whoa. That's that's <laughs> great. We had a solid whole two minutes of interesting things spread across the left. Oh, that's such a tracks. natural reaction, John. There you go. Um... The whole album is just filled with the same stuff over and over and over again that we've had for well over a decade. It's it's just the same usage, and I don't want to start repeating myself, so I'm going to sum up this. A few weeks ago when we did Gerard Way, I was not a big fan because of what it was. This is... That album is more preferable for me to listen to because at least I could tune that album out. This is so loud at points and so forceful in its delivery that honestly I'd have to keep the volume really low to be able to tune out this stuff. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it makes it catchy. I'm still stuck with centuries in my head. I can't get rid of it. I But I want it gone. I don't want a catchy song like this in my head. 1.75. It is barely music. One song on this album would have been music, but the repetition of that song in just slight variations is what just turns this into a, a just nothing for me. 1.75. Well, uh, the comparison to Gerard Way I think is interesting, considering it was Fresh Memory only two weeks ago, and it was our, our last rather poor album in recent history. This is wrong for, I mean, I think this is a poor album for many, many different reasons. Many different reasons. I frankly think this shows an ignorance of pop for the last 15 years. If they have a market for this, and they sure as hell did in 2006, 
and if it still exists, then more power to him. I guess, you know, all right, fine, reap the checks. But, but I, to my ears, it's almost impossible to hear how this album could have been consciously produced without the question, should we change it up a bit? Are we getting a little repetitive? Are we repeating ourselves? Are we repeating ourselves within the confines of the track? Are we repeating ourselves within the confines of the album? Are we repeating ourselves within the confines of music? I, I just, I can go anywhere for this. I mean, the fact that they have held top of the charts, you know, in mid-2000s, it's just, I, I, we're not doing those albums today, but if, if this is an album that has the same capacity, it really saddens me. Um, that just shows me that peop- a lot of people are just deluded to the concept of, of what manufactured music really is. And I have a little diatribe on that word. Because we say it a lot. All right, it sounds manufactured. At the end of the day, it's really a misnomer. Manufactured is never truly manufactured. I don't think there are a lot of artists at all who really produce music with the intention, all right, I will make money. I will make money. And this is how you make money. Very few artists, in my my honest opinion. I'm sure they're out there, but they are few and far between. Most believe in their art. And and there's just a, a, a variety of opinion. In the, in the public discourse. Um, so that's why it really pains me to use that word today. It, it means that the word itself is really just born out of a lack of self-awareness. And I think is that is exactly what this album suffers from. Considering Gerard Way, I had two songs on that album that I would really go back to. I got nothing on this. 1.5. My problem with this record, I think, overall, is the same problem that everyone else has with it. Um, but when I first listened to it, I actually had fun with it. Subsequent listens after that, I wasn't focusing on it 100%, so I was bobbing around to it, enjoying the rhythm, the, the, the overall structure of the tracks. I think the problem with focusing on this record is you really do see the repetition. I'm the first person out of the three of us to acknowledge that I can listen to repetitive songs and find enjoyment in them. I found enjoyment in a lot of pop stuff that... Steve and John have both found trite otherwise, which is fine. The roles have been reversed in other occasions. But I think under a magnifying glass, this album, it, it really I didn't really notice the, the, core, the interchangeable chorus structure until we listened to it again today before recording. And I think that's what bums me out the most, is that I know that this band is capable, and they've done some great stuff. We cited a lot of songs that I really like. Um, I was listening to earlier today. This isn't a this isn't a scene. It's an arms race. Earlier today, that song still gives me goosebumps because it's just so different for them because they took a hip hop route as a band that had otherwise not dabbled into hip hop. But I feel like they they created these songs in their past and didn't really learn from them. Steve's right. Like it's like it feels like they're ignoring their own history and the history of music. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, if you're looking to cash in, but Steve makes a good point. What band makes an album and goes, this is a cash in, let's do it. There are some, but it's not fair to assume they're doing that because I fully believe that they made this album saying, this is this is great, we're back. I want to factor in the hiatus. It, it was for, what, three or four years, something like that? Four years, four 09 years. to 13, no, uh, or 12. Hiatuses make a big difference. I mean, we did talk about back when we reviewed Eve 6, and they had been on hiatus, I think, for almost a decade, maybe nine years, something like that, when we did their newest record, which was episode... Uh, which, which album again? The Eve 6. Eve 6 was episode 7. 
So back in our early days, one of the things that we accepted was, well, they were kind of in a time capsule and they continued to make the same sound, but they did make, they did change it up a bit. They had some advances. It's what made Stephen John finally come around to a bit of a better rating because they acknowledged that even though they're playing to a sound that they did in the past, that's where they last left off and they did still incorporate some more modern stuff into it. Here, they're playing, they're taking parts of their own history and repeating them. They're not taking all of it. If this if this went from if this genre jumped if the whole album genre jumped from hip hop to punk to rock and roll to pop to dance like I would be more on board with that because at least there was a variation, but there really isn't. I mean it's why I'll choose band, a band like Patent Pending, who's also a pop rock band that I really like, over these guys because they at least on their records genre jump, which is interesting as a pop punk band, you know, to go from 50s to rock and roll to a little bit metal to acoustic rock. I wanted more from this. Um, I don't think I'll be as harsh because, again, there are some songs that I kind of really enjoyed, but it's hard not to hear the repetitiveness now. Um, but it's definitely not much above Gerard Way for me since, again, since Steve pointed out, since we're bringing that up mostly because it's in recent memory as this album we didn't enjoy. <coughs> but I'll cite it to Bare Naked Ladies also that I didn't really... I didn't like it all, but I liked a couple tracks. This album, I like a couple tracks. I sincerely do like a couple tracks. So it's a two. It's an even two for me. It's not average. There are average moments, and honestly, if they had stuck to that, Steve's right. If they had stuck to just a pop pop rock structure through and through, like uh, One Republic, it would have been perfectly average, and that might have been better. It's funny, because at the end of the day, I suppose I give more credit to bands that dip back in time. And yeah. the, that's the problem here, is that I don't see a dipping back in time. No. I see just a, a fixation with the banal present. Yeah, and I agree. And so, thank you for the album rec, um, Kristen. We, we <laughs> always appreciate, sincerely, we do appreciate any album request. And just because... We didn't like it as much as you did, and if you did really like it, tell us why in the comments of this episode. I mean, really do, because it's possible we're missing something still. We're not perfect. And th at the end of the day, we're looking for things we might not pick on our own, and we wouldn't have probably picked this. And it gave us a really glaring look at something that can be too repetitive. I think the 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 real thing is that for, for a, a vast majority of the, of the populace, Cliches are cliches for a reason, and okay, we're starting to dislike the word itself, but, you know, they rise, and what are you going to do about it? They, they come around as, as concepts that spread virally, and, and all of a sudden, everyone latches on. Clearly, there was something in them. Clearly, otherwise, that never would have happened, right? That's how YouTube videos get popular. It's how lots of things get popular. Um, they only become cliche because certain, uh, you know, people in an intellectual circle, as they see themselves, say, oh, that's, you know, you're, you're being re redundant, you're not renewing things, you're not furthering art, you know, and sure, we're filling that role today because but we're not the first to do it, of course, it's more like an after effect. I like to really give things the benefit of the doubt for a time, after a few years, you got a question. Um, because you renew yourself, go find other things out there, you know, art is the kind of thing that really is like a constantly evolving, um, a constantly evolving beast. So considering the concept of what we see as cliches or as John referred them to them, platitudes, let's take a moment to consider, um, 
what we find to be perhaps the biggest cliches in music. And this is just from our three heads right here, because certainly we had a pretty opinionated uh, angle on today's podcast. Therefore, we would like to accept the fact that others see things differently, and perhaps there's some people that still will defend the said cliches, and they may have some of their own, which perhaps we have accepted blindly. So let's state ours. So these are, this is what I am calling affectionately the great cliche debate. Mm. The three of us are going to pick a cliche that we find is the most unbearable cliche in modern music, pop, rock, it could be cross-genre, and we're going to defend why we think it's the worst. At this point, we're having a little fun with it. We'll probably exaggerate because the idea is to debate because we've been agreeing a little too much on the podcast and that gets boring. So we'll start with John because I know he knows what his great... So first date, your cliche that you will be defending today. The drop. Specifically the bass drop. I like it in EDM. To an extent, it can be overused in EDM, but in general, it works because when you hit a crescendo and you want to bring it back down, dropping the bass does a great job of doing that. It's just something that works within the confines of synthesizers. But when you start injecting that into pop, into rock, into alt, and this is the worst part, a lot of times that synthesizer and its use ends up being shoehorned in. It won't be present in in the buildup. It won't actually be a part of the song until you drop it into that chorus. It's very, very commonly used in the verse-chorus turnover. When you are really just skipping a lot of the pre-chorus buildup or bridge buildup, when you hit that crescendo, yes, something great, then all of a sudden you're introducing a new element with the synthesizer and a new framework in which to work the song itself. I find it to just be completely tacky and just a trope, an idea to, well, we have to do a buildup. Why? I don't understand why you need to do this buildup in this song. Yeah, where, and that's where the are big these question. <laughs> exactly. It's something that, well, they're predictable. That's, I think, one of the worst, worst things about them. You know when they're going to happen. Then you shouldn't be doing it. It's that classic, oh, obviously they're going to screw up the song at this point, and you're proven right. Steve, your um, worst cliche in music that you're defending today. The woe. Or oh, if you will. Uh, I realize I speak, I, I've been speaking a little incorrectly. It's not necessarily onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia is like an utterance of a, of a, of a specific sound that is made. But I, I don't know why we say oh. I don't know. Wh- Maybe I know why we say woe. But I don't know if it really fits any of the implementation as I've seen for the past dozen or so years. This has just been a thing since the mid-2000s. And sure, it's fresh in my mind today. And I wonder why. Because it's really gotten popular, I think, uh, with the use of fun. Fun does it a lot. That's fun with a period. Um, and it rouses you in a sense. I'm sure that was the, the goal. You're supposed to gather around and sing together. Uh... I think that's great. I think that's just wonderful. But I think that words are sometimes more powerful than just a utterance, especially when it's the same utterance across a multitude of bands. Very often, singing in just about the same, the same scales. Usually it's in pentatonic, very safe, never really straying. And I just, I don't know. I'm up to here with it. I think that 
there needs to be some other rule book around, even though I'm against the rule book idea, period. I think that if it, there was to be a rule book for the next stage in in group in group singing, in in the single that's supposed to gather everybody together, which I do think has its place, then let's just move it on to something else other than whoa, oh, 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 oh. Or na, 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 na. Or hey, I'll any. take it. I'll take it. It's nah, a nah, nah. I'm just sick of whoa or oh. I don't know. Na 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 has probably been around longer. That's true. Let's go back. I'll okay. call it a throwback and be happy. <laughs> That's how oh. much I hate wool. <laughs> okay. Um, mine is going to be something that we've encountered quite a bit, actually, while listening to pop records specifically. Um, the the shoehorned in hip hop rap section in a pop song. I have no problem with hip hop in. I mean, I. If you're listening to this and the other podcast, you know I love rap a lot. And I like when folk or pop or rock feature rap artists or vice versa. I think it's really cool to see that kind of crossover. In fact, Michael Kill had gone on tour with a folk act and he plays acoustic guitar. And so they would play actual instruments during his rap set and kind of give it a folk rap kind of vibe. I think that kind of thing is awesome. But when you have something like um, Dark Horse by Katy Perry... First of all, Juicy J might be, because his his content is lacking, his lyrics are terrible, his flow is doesn't doesn't work right. He's not a great rapper. But that aside, and I could laundry list why I feel he's not. His verse is completely disconnected lyrically to everything Katy Perry was singing about. But they shoehorned him in because he's on the same label and they want to promote each other. But Katy Perry spends the entire time building up how she's a dark horse, how she's this leader, this giant, this combatant. Not only that, but from a place where nobody saw coming. I mean, it was interesting. It was a great content. And then Juicy J comes in and raps about how he's going to make her his lover and that how they're going to... And it's just, it makes him the dominant force instantly when he starts singing. And that's the antithesis of the entire song. But it doesn't just happen there. It happens, I feel like, on almost every pop record. If there's a rap rapper on that same level, label, they just shoehorn them in for cross-promotion. You can have guest verses and not have it feel short, short, uh, shoehorned in. I mean, that's where Nerdcore is based most of their popularity on, is all of the artists that I've interviewed on autographs have featured on each other's records. The laundry list goes on and on. But... They reach out to each other and go, here's a song I have. Do you want to do guest verse for it? What do you think? They don't just force it and make it happen. I would liken it to an underscore that they just inserted within their song and said, do something. Yeah. It's not a collaboration. It's yeah. it's just Fill inserted. in the space. Yeah. Um, and I really think that it's the worst thing in pop, modern pop music. I mean, or even rock. I mean, you know when it was done right? The best case in pop music when it was done right... Aerosmith and Run DMC. It revitalized two careers and taking a song Walk This Way and then having Run DMC come in and rap on it, it added a dynamic to that song that was so much more fun. They had the DJ playing on it. They made it a new song. Well, one of our collective uh, favorite bands, or maybe not our favorite band, but one we talk about a lot, Gorillaz, has made a career off of a combination of more alt-rock with hip-hop, just pushing the two things together so it works. Yeah. And their flow is great. 
I get you. And yeah, that's true. I, that, but, I didn't think of gorillas because in that case, uh, rhythm is the real thing that ties everything together, especially when the rapper steps in, uh, rapping in almost the exact same meter of the um, same. the same pulse of of the track at large. But I guess an argument as to why mine's the worst, and that's because, frankly, dropping the bass—that's a meme. If you meme something, it's just way too pervasive within society. It's just part of the th- the thought process of mankind. If you have to use that to sell a song, to sell a part of your song, to even just make this product in general because it's just it's a part of society, I mean, you're just you completely run out of ideas at that point. You completely just run out of content for your song at that point. John makes a good point. Steve, counter argument? Counter-argument to that? No, I really have no counter-argument to that. I don't disagree. Well, counter-argument <laughs> to why yours is the worst. I figure we'll oh, go around oh, oh, each that's, one that's more time. The and, game here yeah. really is to why mine is the worst. Well, first of all, prove to me an, in, an instance when mine has worked. Mm. Because you gave a pretty good example for your own as to why how it, it has works. worked in the past. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's he a makes a good hard. point. That's Give me a minute. I didn't. I think it's very, very spot. tough for a melody to stand, like when it's just as I, as you said, shoehorn. I think it's a form of shoehorning. Is you grab your choir together and then they sing it, and it's just. I have one where it works. Yeah, I see your reaction here. What is this? Um, the song "Tarzan Boy" by Baltimoreia. It's an '80s song. Wish I knew the reference. Um, where the entire chorus is that kind of a thing and shall we pause and we're back so i've heard tarzan boy this is the little benefits we get from podcasting is um i heard it fair enough (laughs) and for the listener please go listen to tarzan boy because it is exactly what it sounds like ever hear tarzan know what sound he makes Oh, 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 Perhaps the only response you ever could have given. I, 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 oh I credit you. Only because that's what Tarzan does. <laughs> but since no one else does that, that's the end of the argument. As for mine, my final defense of mine is, yes, I've cited many occasions where it works, but they are all not within pop music, with the possible exception of the gorillas, because they've... I would never, no, 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 I wouldn't call them pop per se. They walked the line. They were on MTV for Clint Eastwood everywhere. They were oh, they were pop with their first record as far as popular in the popular culture, the actual meaning of the word. Yes. But in every, to- every time a pop star, my best example of how rap doesn't work in the pop community is a rapper who doesn't work. Iggy Azalea is one of the worst rappers I've ever heard. She is terrible. I actually might disagree with that i think there actually is a little bit more merit to the style that she cultivated because it is so different from her speaking voice it sounds dirty it sounds sleazy yeah, but it's also like, but to be honest it's a little bit different than most of the shit that i'm hearing yeah i don't know i feel like they're putting on a voice like that it's like she's trying to put on a voice like a stereotype voice and it's like and I actually kind of accepted that because, frankly, I already saw the voice as a stereotype to begin with. Hence, I see it as I see that as actually rather self-aware. And yeah. come to think of it, there was a little bit more creativity in the overall song around that. Yes, I'm a defending Iggy Azalea. I don't know how it turned into that, but I, I don't know. I think there's greater trope in the larger rap community uh, 
apart from her, hence I can't really cast a stone to her specifically. I just feel like you can make quality rap without doing that voice, whatever that is. Yeah, but what it, it gives her distinction. That's exactly what I thought. Um, sure, you can not like it, but for many other reasons that people just are deterred by certain artists' quirks. I mean, uh, uh, Maris Yahoo. Am I saying that right? Maris Yahoo. Maris Yahoo, sure. I'm, very distinct voice. That was one of his best features when he when he really blew up big. You really recognized him right away. He had a slight inflection, a slight just candence to his voice that really did set him apart. That and his content is what kind of propelled him over into the main scene for a while. And I wouldn't say that he's really any different outside the mainstream than than Iggy is. I think they would be both have their same sort of level, same sort of merit level as far as just uniqueness in their voices. Yeah, I'm not saying it's high art or anything, but again, it's like, if you're going to throw a stone, I wouldn't throw it first at her. I think she's fitting the niche better than many of her contemporaries. Fine. <laughs> I still had Tarzan Boy, so whatever. I'll hold on to that. <laughs> you do that. I mean, but as I'm... long as there are no more Tarzans left in the rest of the pop community, then... Uh... Yeah, that argument ends there. I think this is a safe place to say that there are really no winners in this debate. Except for me, because I'm a meme. Own your cliché. Your cliché is your own. Truthfully, I mean, everyone does. All joking aside, people do identify with certain clichés and don't see them as cliché because they like them. And it's not that unreasonable to like a cliché. It's just, I think be aware is the most important thing. And we talk about clichés a lot because, well, nothing is ever new. Or at least at some Sometimes it's the way it seems. We have cliches of one of our favorite ones to reference, the piano all alone in the auditorium. Sometimes these things work, and it's okay to, to say that, you know, there are exceptions to the rules. There's a reason we call it creativity. Creativity is creating something. And if you find yourself falling into old traps, then it becomes less and less creative. But you, you can create from something that existed. You don't have to create from nothing. Sometimes you create from something. Very, yeah. Mostly that's the way it is. But then how much individuality do you choose to infuse? Right. And I think that's the big question. The, I mean, a cliche, I think, is born out of something that you didn't work terribly hard at. So, I think this is a great place to go on to our spam email of the week. Spam email of the week. See, he's got a segment for everything. He's song. got a song for every segment. But if he actually records them, then he doesn't have to sing them. He can just insert them in the podcast and do more editing. Yes. Uh. Let's give you more work, Steve. Yeah. Spam. I do not leave a leave a response. However, after looking at through some of the comments here at Tragic Dead End, that's a progressive actually do have two questions for you, you if it's okay. Is it simply me, or does it give the impression like some of this responses look as though they are written by brain-dead folks? <laughs> and if you are writing at additional places, I'd like to, to, to follow everything fresh you have to post. Could you list every one of your social networking pages, like <laughs> your Twitter feed, Facebook page, and or LinkedIn profile? By the Simpsons tapped out donut hack. When you said however... However... However, however, that's when I realized I, I thought you stuttered, but you didn't. No, nope. so that's like when you went like did the repeated sound today, Steve. Nope, that was all part of it. You did it very well. I mean, I would love for you to do AI work in some sort of movie that's not a ripoff of something else. I would like to see an AI movie that's not a ripoff of something else. I think that's what I'm going for. Good luck with that. That's the greatest compliment I've ever received. I'm leaving the podcast. 
Yeah, okay. I have a career ahead of me. No, you don't. Can you leave your computer? Because we still have to record I this I have thing. a computer. I have a Mac. We can still record with them. Yeah, but I don't like using Macs. I'm still a You won't guy. have to. I'll be using it. It's not like you're going to do the editing of Steve. I'm gone. Steve's already got, also got the mic. I mean, we still have that that we're going to need to get, and I don't want to invest in the mic yet. on the plane. Steve, can you please tell us our album for next week? Next week, we're doing uh, Sufjan Stevens and his new album, Carrie and Lowell. Now, I've heard a few things about this album that it's a little more of like a lo-fi sound, um, as in contrast to his, his, the vastness that was his, uh, his middle period work culminating with like Illinois, which was, which was a monstrosity, this masterpiece unto itself. But yeah, it's, it's really all, I've referenced this frequently, um, with relationship to the two artists that, that he's considered associated acts with, and that's My Brightest Diamond, Shower Warden of My Brightest Diamond, and uh, Annie Vincent, um, Annie Clark of St. Vincent. But, uh, yeah, they were both backup singers for him, and that's how I frequently reference them, is, is this is his, his harem of, of musicians. But um, this time we'll be looking at his solo work, so finally I can stop referencing him uh, with respect to other people and just look at him. So we're finally going to get the guy that got us all those other people that we love. Yes, they uh, were backup vocalists. They were backup vocalists that produced our favorite albums from last year. Two of our three yes, favorite albums. Yes, those backup yep. vocalists yeah. went into... Oh, and Plet's not connected at all, but probably influenced by... Yeah. Well, it's like, you, My Brightest, St. Vincent's, Owen, I'm okay with... I really want to know what this guy does. If Sufjan Stevens can surround himself with backup vocalists that turn out to be brilliant composers... Next to today's album, well then, I'll just let you wonder. Fair enough. Just wonder what you're going to receive. I guess we'll wonder. And on that wondrous note, remember, music is life. And and life life is is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.